Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. So if you got your Bibles, Acts, Acts chapter 5, uh, hopefully you're there. Uh, a, a buddy of mine, uh, f- gosh, about 14 years ago, moved into a, a Texas town, and he was planting a, a church, and as they were, uh, so about 14 years ago, so they were, they were getting their core group together, uh, they, were, they were working to get things off the ground, and he, and he took a job at a, at a Christian school as a, as a Bible teacher. And so uh, he started teaching Bible classes, but uh, it wasn't too long into his stint as a Bible teacher in this new town that he got fired. Uh, you know, he's like, great, I'm planting a church, and I just got fired from teaching the Bible. You know, like, is this an omen? Uh, but one of the reasons cited uh, among, there, there was a handful, but one of the reasons was this dude, uh, I guess, I don't know if it was Facebook, or this may have been like MySpace days. Uh, he, had, he had somewhere on, like, on social media clicked that he liked Jay-Z, uh, and so they're like, oh my gosh, you know, that is the unforgivable, unforgivable sin. But what was really going on behind the scenes is that uh, the, the religious establishment uh, did not appreciate that there was a new kid on the block. The religious establishment did not, uh, they didn't like this dude coming in. Uh, starting a new church, doing things a different way, building relationships, all while uh, professing and teaching the same Jesus that they profess to follow. And and, uh, fast forward about 13, 14 years later, actually, I guess about 12 years later, it's been a couple years ago, uh, my buddy's church now owns the property uh, as well as the school uh, and their church worships in the gymnasium uh, that uh, formerly was the school's. And while the school's influence continues to, to kind of decrease and wane, uh, their church, uh, their local church continues to grow and reach people for Jesus. Amen? So I share that story uh, this morning because when, when the gospel begins to impact cities, when the gospel begins to impact homes, when the gospel begins to impact hearts, there, there is this juxtaposition of, of two value systems. And, and, and I've talked about this before. It's been a while, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes when these value systems collide, it's, it's more subtle, but sometimes it just gets downright contentious. Uh, and, and, and I'll unpack that uh, as we dive in. But church family, Acts 5 reveals this collision of these two value systems. Uh, and suffice it to say, in Acts 5, we also see, you know, the, the opposition is moving from inside the church to outside the church. We looked at Ananias and Sapphira last week. Many of our students were, were back last week, and we welcomed you back by preaching God striking down Ananias and Sapphira. 
Welcome back. Um, and so, but, but we, we, we're going to continue. So before, before verse 17, verses 12 through 16 reveals that God was at work. Man, miracles were happening. People were getting saved. God, God was doing miraculous things through the hands of the apostles. Uh, but then as, as we get to verse 17, we see more opposition, and we see the gospel colliding with the culture. We see the gospel colliding and, and with, with this, the, the world, um, and you see systems and you see saviors, and you see speech that starts to get revealed. And, and it's no different today. Church, even, even in the midst of sort of like crazy uh, COVID, <laughs> uh, crazy COVID season, even in the midst of the brokenness all around us, even in the midst of political unrest, even in the midst of racial turmoil, even in the midst of financial uncertainty, uh, the gospel is alive and well. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? Like the gospel is alive and well. Like God's kingdom is still advancing for it's still it's still coming. But I think this text provides us with an opportunity to sort of examine our own gospel centeredness and 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 really examine like, hey, what are you valuing right now? What what are you um what are you valuing? Uh, what are you relying on? And what speech is coming out of your mouth right now? And what are we saying? So, so uh, the three points this morning are really going to be three questions that sort of examine, uh, examine system saviors and, and speech. So when you look at verse 17, uh, and I'm going to read 17 and 18, it says, The high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. And they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in public prison. So the first, first question I want to I ask this morning is what, what value system are you relying on? Would you look at your neighbor and say, value system. Look at your other neighbor and say, value system. What, what value system, y'all know y'all missed that. What value system... Uh, are you relying on? And, and, and let me give you a little bit of context with, with the Sadducee party. See, the, the Sadducees were this religious faction. Uh, and Pastor Chris Henson, uh, several weeks back, kind of touched on this, but I'll, 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 I'll touch on it again. They were a religious faction that wielded pretty great societal power in Israel uh, over every area, really, other than military, uh, and and really, they were they were sort of in league. They were in bed with Rome, uh, so they you know their 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 oppressors, their really Rome, who was occupying Israel. The Sadducees were kind of they were down with Rome, and, and Sadducees were known uh, as much for their wealth um, and their corruption as they were for their sort of religious devotion. Uh, in fact, you, you could say that wealth may have been the number one belief of the Sadducees. Um, they, they controlled the two most important institutions within Israel. They controlled the temple, 
um, and they, they controlled the Sanhedrin, which was sort of the, the ruling Jewish body on all things religion and politics. So they were over the temple, they were over the Sanhedrin, uh, and theologically, the Sadducees, they held very tightly to the Torah, to the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, which is, is, is strange because as much as they held to the written law, uh, they did not believe in anything supernatural. So supernatural. They, they, uh, they did not believe in angels or, or demons. They did not believe uh, in heaven or, or hell. Uh, and they, they did not believe in the resurrection. Uh, and so this was the Sadducees. And this is, as, as the gospel is, is going forth in Israel, you see this collision with the Sadducees. And, and, and you say, well, why, man, why were they so bent out of shape? And, and for that, you go back to Acts 4.2, but it really goes even before Acts 4.2. See, in Acts 4.2, if you, if you look back in your text, in your Bibles, it says the Sadducees were greatly annoyed because Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. These guys didn't believe in that. So that, that was a problem. So they, they locked them up overnight. They threatened them in Acts 4.18. Hey, don't ever, don't ever, ever, ever speak the name of Jesus again. Um, and you say, well, okay, but, but why, again, other than, okay, they're preaching resurrection, what was their big issue with Jesus? Well, keep in mind, you guys are familiar when, when the, the Jesus turned over the tables in the temple, right? Uh, whose tables were those? Those were the Sadducees' tables. So Jesus, he didn't just do it once, he did it twice. Jesus, at the very beginning of it, at the launch of his public ministry, turned over the tables, and, and, and he did it again at the end of his, his ministry, went back into the temple, turned over the tables again. And, and so, uh, not only that, uh, Jesus had openly called out the Sadducees' hypocrisy. And really, Jesus, he, he, at the very beginning of his ministry, he introduced himself to the Sadducees by calling them a brood of vipers. I don't know if that's like how you met your roommate, like if that was the situation, you know, like if you just led with, like, you're a brood of vipers, right? But that's how, so, th- so they hated Jesus. Jesus exposed that they were living for the wealth that they could extort from others. And he exposed that, I mean, like their, their whole identity was in this power and the authority that they could wield over others in the name of their religion. That's what the Sadducees were about. But ultimately, listen, their identity was rooted in a value system, right? Two value systems. Their, their value system was rooted in self-glory, and in what, what the Old Testament called mammon. It's an Aramaic word. I, look at your neighbor say mammon. We're gonna, uh, I don't think we're going to bring this word back, but mammon, it'd be cool if we did. Like, bro, you are, all you're about is mammon. Uh, it means, it's an Aramaic word. It just means worldly riches, worldly wealth and riches. And so that, that, is, that is the value system of this world. It, this world is about self-glory and stuff, right? 
that, that the, the, what this world like values, it, ultimately energized by the enemy, by Satan. But man, we, we love it too. We're all about it. Uh, our, our human nature and flesh loves, we love self-glory. We love self-righteousness, and, and, and we love stuff. We love mammon. And so uh, the, the high priest was sort of the epitome of this value system, and he sat atop this, this system of, of works and, and uh, self-righteousness uh, that, that, that really um, it was designed to create and sort of distinguish the, the, the haves from the have-nots, Right? And so, so the, the distinguished the favored from the non-favored. So to be in this system of Judaism as it was then meant that you were either trying to climb the ladder of self-righteousness, right? We don't ever do that in the church. Praise, praise the Lord for that. Um, trying to climb this ladder of, self, of, of, of self-righteousness, or you just settle for being something lesser, you just settle for being something, something lesser. And the text tells us, it says that all who were with him, the high priest rose up and all who were with him. See, man-made systems, man, they, they force you to pick a side because they find their identity in man's righteousness. They find their identity in man's goodness. And, and anything that threatens that narrative has got to be snuffed out. Right. Anything that that might point to something other than than man has got to be snuffed out because and the the, the answer to why is that? Because, again, this system is rooted in the glory of man in self-glory and it leads to being jealous when we see that other people are getting glory and definitely when God is getting glory. And if you look at the text, that's, that's exactly what happens in verse 17 and verse 18. You know, it's, it's, like, the, it's like the teen movie, right, where the super popular kids who've been like holding down the school for a couple years or whatever, uh, and then like the new, more popular kid shows up and they're like, hold up, what just happened? Uh, they, they were filled, text says they were filled with jealousy over the apostles and what God was doing through the apostles and how the people were following after the apostles. And, and, and now, see, the apostles are in direct violation of, of their, their gag order, right? Hey, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And they're like, well, okay, we'll see about that. Uh, we're going to obey God, not you. And they go right back to sharing Jesus. So they lock them up. But this time, they, they lock them up publicly to make a, a, a really a public spectacle of them, to make an example of them. So that's one value system. Second value system is, is God's value system. This is what Jesus came to embody. This is, what, this is what the apostles were sharing with others. God's value, here's what God values, ready? God values His glory, amen? Can I get an amen? amen? God values His glory, and He values mercy, he values his glory. He values mercy. He values people that he can pour out his mercy upon. And so Jesus came on the scene, and he perfectly embodies what God values. He perfectly embodies uh, the, the, the righteousness of God. And so, you know, years back, we were, I was preaching through Matthew 5, 5 through 10, and as we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, you get to Matthew 5, 48, and you're like, oh, my gosh, uh, Jesus, what are you talking about? Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, hey, you guys just be perfect as, as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, uh, check. Like, no, 
Like that, that, that seems like really bad news until you realize Jesus is saying, no, 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 actually, um, I came to be the perfect one because you couldn't. Uh, I, I came to ultimately demonstrate God's mercy by being poured out on a cross as a substitute in your place. And so that message of what Jesus had done for the have-nots, man, Jesus was a game changer, amen? For, for, you know, because now in Christ, they had the favor of God, right? In the religious system, in this pecking order of, of relative righteousness, now all those people, man, now God was looking at them saying, you're loved. Now God was looking at them saying, you, you are clean. Now God was saying, you, uh, my, my favor has been poured out on you, my love, my forgiveness. And man, the Sadducees hated that. They absolutely despised it because they were living and operating by a different value system. And, and, and here's the application. You say, well, what, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? Um, it means that there, there's no neutral. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there, there is no, there's no neutral. You, you, are, you are either relying on the value system of this world or, or on God's value system. Amen? Like you're either looking, you're either looking for man-made solutions, looking within, looking to the goodness and the righteousness of man, or you are looking to God and you are relying on his mercy. And so think about it. it, it isn't it crazy that over the, the, the many centuries, through the centuries, that those who sit atop the world value system almost always, one way or another, end up exploiting fellow man to pad their own pockets or, or to amass wealth or, or to build their own brand or to build their own comfort in this life. But people who are building on God's value system pour themselves out for others just like Jesus. You pour yourself out for others, even, even to the point of death, because they know that this world as it is, is not, is not their home. You know, like we've lost sight of this, like American church, American church culture. Like we don't, we don't talk about this. See, they, because they, we, listen, these guys knew that unless their fellow man received the mercy of God, that like this life is like all that they would have. And there'd be no hope. There'd be no hope of resurrection into the kingdom. So the question becomes like, what, what value system are you relying on? And, and, and don't be too quick to answer. What, what value system are you relying on? Because uh, he, be careful how you answer because uh, think about it, it's going to play out in, in, in your response. How, how are you... How are you responding to COVID, right? How, do you res- how are you responding to racial injustice? How are you responding to injustice as a whole? How are you responding to the brokenness of this world around you? Are you, are you looking to elevate and value man in man's glory and man's righteousness? Are you, are you looking to value, here's that word again, mammon, stuff? Or are you consumed with the glory of God right now? 
Are you consumed with the glory of God right now? Are you captured by the mercy of God in such a way that like you're just filled with this hunger for others to experience the mercy of God as well? Yeah, do y'all hear me this morning? Like you're just, man, I just want others to know the goodness. Like Cedric talked about it this morning. Yes, God is big, but he is personal and he has poured out his mercy on us. And I just want others to know and experience that. See, be careful, be careful before you say, oh, no, 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 I'm about God's value system because the world system will fill your head with with seemingly good answers and good solutions uh, that ultimately have nothing to do with God's solution in Christ. What value system are you relying on? Second thing this morning is this. Verse 19 says this, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. The second, the second point, the second question, what savior, what savior are you looking to? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, Savior. Savior. Look at your other neighbor and say, Savior. Savior. What savior are you looking to? See, during the night, the, this angel uh, brought them out. In, in the Greek, that, that word angelos, it could actually be a human. Uh, messenger, or it could be a, a divine, a heavenly messenger. Um, and, and really, context normally determines how we interpret it. In, in this case, I, because of the supernatural nature of it, I tend to think that it was it was a divine messenger, an angel who, who busted the, the apostles out of jail. But wherever you land, the bottom line is this. The apostles, man, they trusted God. Amen? Like they they trusted the Lord. Kent Hughes says through angelic intervention, God was teaching the twelve. Check this out: that He can deliver His servants from the world's oppression any time He sees fit. Amen. Furthermore, listen this this liberation from jail. It wasn't just for the sake of the apostles. It's also for like your encouragement too. It's for my encouragement too, because God, it's revealing that God is able to deliver anytime he wants to. Amen. This past week, here's an example of that. This is crazy. I don't know if you've been following along with the explosion that rocked Beirut. Massive explosion, killed lots of people, and and has done catastrophic damage to the city of Beirut. Many of you know, many may not know, uh, Restoration, we've got a missionary over on the ground in Beirut. And so we were scrambling, trying to figure out how our our missionary was doing. I'm not going to say his name this morning, but here's here's the thing. We got a, we got a, a message from his mother. And his mom said this. She said the morning of the explosion, her son was supposed to go for a bike ride right by the port. Right by the port where the, where the, the ship blew up, where, where there was an explosion. There was a boat with all kinds of things that shouldn't have been there. And inexplicably, uh, our, our friend, this missionary, woke up that morning feeling sick woke up feeling dizzy, and he canceled the, the ride. And in, instead, he, he ended up going a mile and a half away 
And he stayed with a friend at his apartment. And as their building was rocked by the, gla- by the blast, they were protected from the carnage due to a concrete wall that shielded them from the glass and the debris. Y'all, God is absolutely still in the business of physically saving. Amen? Like, wow. But I think the question becomes, it, it, it brings up an important question. Is physical deliverance the normative pattern for all Christians? I, I think the short answer is, is no. Like we're not exempt from the, the physical stuff of this life. Even the apostles, here's the deal. Every single one of the apostles, including, the, including Barnabas and Paul, John Mark and others outside the apostles circle, but like Paul was, was a, a, an apostle as well, all were martyred for their faith. Uh, in fact, we, we see in Acts, we do see some pretty miraculous deliverances. Like God, God just shows up and does some crazy awesome things. But it's not even within Acts it is not the normal experience and expectation. We're going to see in a couple chapters, Stephen is martyred for his faith. We're going to see James is, uh, is, is, is martyred for his faith. Later on in Acts, we're going to see Paul in prison. And so here's the deal. God saves us from physical peril according to his will. Amen? It's according to his will. To the extent that he does not, and hear me, even, even to the point uh, in the case of death, it only indicates that our, our mission in the work, Ephesians 2.10, the work that he created us for is complete. Like we, again, it's something we don't talk about in the American church, right? But, but here, like, we, we forget that our days are numbered by the Lord. Like, like that's, that's God's prerogative. Like, that's, God has done that. He has numbered our days. What does it mean? It means this. It means whether you are martyred for your faith on the mission field, whether you, it, whether you die in, in good old age, or heaven forbid, if, if I, me or you or any one of us were to die due to COVID complications, God is sovereign over life and death. God is sovereign over life and death. He does save. Amen? Like He does deliver. But when He does not, we we can't lose sight that, listen, there is the big picture of eternity in our life now, Scripture says, is but a a vapor. And so the, the, the bigger question is, or thought is, what you do with your time and your life right now in light of the mission of God to make disciples of Jesus is, is far more important than when you go out or when I go out. And Jesus' earlier, early followers, they understood this. And so here, here's the key before we move on to the third point. What, what Savior are you looking to right now? See, the Sadducees, man, the Sadducees, they, they would have had all the people looking to them. 
is the answer for salvation. The Sadducees would have had them looking to, man, hey, we're sort of the, the religious elite, like we're the solution to all your problems. The Sadducees would have, would have had the people looking to man-made solutions in man-made righteousness. The apostles, on the other hand, they, on the other hand, they, just, they were just trusting God to save. They trusted God alone. Their, but their understanding of salvation was not just limited to the physical. Man, they understood their hope was in the resurrection. Their hope was in the kingdom of God. Their hope was in Jesus Christ alone. Third, third thing this morning, third question as we look at 20 and 21. So the angel says, go and stand in the temple. <laughs> go back to the temple. Okay. And speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. I'm going to stop right there. See, here's where we learned this wasn't just like a regular jailbreak. This, this, was, like a, this, was, a, this was a rescue accompanied with a divine commission. Tony Morita says this instruction is kind of funny because it was precisely that act that caused them to get into prison in the first place. You go back, right? Solomon's colonnade, the temple where, where Peter and John were. That's where they were when they got arrested the first time. They were in the temple. They were proclaiming Jesus as a solution for salvation. You're like, okay. But then the angel says, hey, just if y'all would, just go back to the temple and just keep doing what you were doing. <laughs> what? Go back to the temple. And it says, speak to the people all the words of this life. Say, what, 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 what does that mean? What, David Peterson says it like this. This life refers to the life made possible by the saving work of Jesus. See, Acts 3.15, Jesus had already been called the author of life. John 6.35, he's the bread of life. John 14.6, he said he's the way, the truth, and the life. So the word of life is the word of Jesus. It's, it's the good news of Jesus' life, His sacrificial death and His resurrection for us. And see, for the apostles, Jesus wasn't just like a word of life. Like He was the source of their life. He was the source of their purpose. He was the source of their passion. So in verse 21, they do. I mean, they get right back to it. They're like, they, they, they leave the presence of the angel and they're like, okay, Crack of dawn. They're back at the temple, and what are they doing? They are proclaiming Jesus. Right back to it. Professing and teaching and preaching Jesus. What's the application? What, is, what, is that, what does that mean for us right now? Church family, people are starving for this same word of life. You look around, like look around the culture. Hop on social media for like two minutes, okay? And people, like, people, look at the division. Look at the, look at the hurt. Look at, look at the loneliness. Look at the, look at the despair all around us. And, and whether people realize it or not, man, um, they need, they, they, they need this word of life. And so the question is, what speech is coming from God's people? Because like we, we have church. We have this opportunity to speak life into the fray, 
to speak life into all the, the craziness and just the, the toxic speech that is all around us. We have the opportunity to speak life. And, and, and so I look around and, and for the church, for so many Christians, man, like, are, are we going to just keep, regurg- are we going to regurgitate the, the latest political talking points from our favorite kind of news outlet of choice? Or are we going <clears> to, <throat> are we going to share our our hot take on a vaccine or our hot take on mask wearing or our interpretation of the constantly changing and updating information about COVID? Are we going to mimic the culture on ideologies and worldviews that offer Christless solutions to really big stuff, right? Like issue problems of of race, problems of of poverty, problems of of the brokenness that sort of grips our world. See, we we speak with so much conviction on all these things, but the question is, will we open up our mouths and boldly speak Jesus? Will we boldly speak with conviction this this same word of life? It's 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 like this. <laughs> our our 5-year-old Ben Ben loves to swim, uh, our fourth son. He, man, he loves to swim. Problem is, and, he, and he's doing better, but, but for a while when he was younger, uh, Ben would just be swimming and just drink the water everywhere he went. It's like, just drink. And we're like, Ben, stop drinking the water. You know, and he's so cute and he smiles. He's like, okay. And then he goes right back to drinking the water. And we're like, Ben, are you drinking? No, dad. <laughs> you know, and we're like, bro. And, and so... Then we deal with the aftermath, you know, because we he'd wake up in the middle of the night and that chemical laden water is coming back up. Um, ben had to Ben had to learn an important lesson that you you don't you don't just drink up what's all around you. You don't just drink up what's all around you. It's going to come back out one way or another. And here's my plea. Here's my plea, church family. Quit drinking up everything that the world is telling you right now. You're like, you're drinking that up. Listen, it's going to come back out. Church family, we've got to fight for a biblical worldview right now. Like, we have got to fight with a worldview that is entrenched in the Word of God. See, our, our speech right now, it, like, your speech, it's giving you away. Our speech is giving us away. It, it's, it's revealing that we've, we've become a people who are not studying the Bible. Like, we, we, we're, we're not saturated daily in the Word of God. We're not daily worshiping at the feet of Jesus, sitting in the presence of Jesus. And what, what speech is coming out of your mouth right now? Because it's, it's, it's revealing what system, what value system you're subscribing to It's revealing what Savior you're looking to as the solution to the problems. God, help us. Because what we need the most and what the world needs the most is this same word of life. What value system are you relying on? What what Savior are you looking to? And what speech is coming out of your mouth? I'll, I'll I'll close with this this morning. Donald Gray, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse was a, was a theologian 
and a, and a pastor uh, years, years ago. I, I think this, this brother passed away 1960 uh, years ago was a pastor and he shared he shared a story. He said some years ago uh, musicians noted that errand boys in a certain part of London all whistled out of tune as they went about their work. You're like, what? This is I mean, a bunch of errand boys like on the job working and they're just whistling away horribly out of tune. And it was talked about and someone suggested that it was because the bells of Westminster were slightly out of tune. Something had gone wrong with the chimes and they were discordant. So the boys didn't know there was anything wrong with the chimes. So quite unconsciously, they, they just started to copy their pitch, right? So they're humming along and they're just completely out of tune. Restoration fam, the... The pitch of the American church is out of tune. And we're, we're just kind of humming along, but we're out of tune. And, and the question is, how do, we, how do we get back in tune? How do we get back in tune? Well, we got to stop listening to the noise of the world. We got to stop lapping up the the wisdom of this world that is rooted in a value system of man's glory and man's righteousness and man's goodness and stuff, mammon. We got to quit lapping up the, 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 this value system of the world that, that points us to look to the world and to look to men and to look within ourselves as Savior. Like we just lap that up like, yes, like I want more of that. No, we got we, we to stop. We need to look to the Christ of Scripture. We've got to look to the Christ of Scripture. We, we value, we got to get back to valuing His glory alone in His mercy alone. We look to Him alone as Savior in our speech. We'll follow suit. And, and let me tell you, the gospel, this, this, is, this is in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Our, our, listen, the gospel as it goes forth, it's going to be a sweet aroma. It's going to be a sweet aroma and a sweet scent uh, to those who recognize their need for the mercy of God. Amen? But let me also tell you, these two value systems collide the gospel's also going to be an awful stench to those who seek to persist in their own self-reliance. And the gospel's going to stink to those who, who are about their own self-righteousness and their own self-glory. But church, we've got to echo the conviction of the author of Hebrews who in Hebrews 10.13 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Man, may God find the American church faithful. Y'all pray with me this morning.